Welcome, everyone, to Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly. I'm George Cagle and joined by Scotty Jinx. Hey there. And we are coming at you live from Tropical Storm Nicholas. The eye of the storm. That's right. Uh, no, it's mostly past now. It's safe to, uh, you know, come out and uh, do a podcast. So we are looking at Isaiah... 56, 57, and 58. Uh, looking at, yeah, three chapters uh, this evening. Uh, very ambitious. It's it's a tie with our record. Yes, yes, it is. I don't know if we'll ever get to four chapters in an episode. Um, I think three is, three is definitely plenty. But um, they are kind of tied together, these three chapters. Um, I've noticed that, especially 56 and 57, there's a pattern of comparing the righteous and true worshipers, the people who are a part of God's people who are in the covenant, um, you know, that was made in, in, in Jesus. And then in comparing them to the unrighteous or, or false worshipers, uh, people maybe who claim to follow God, but are actually not. Um, I think about like, in uh, Matthew 13, 24 through 30, it's Jesus' parable about the weeds and the, um, and the wheat, the good seed in the field. And, you know, it's, it's true. Like We live, you know, we who are in Christ live among sinners who are going to make life hard for us. And those chapters kind of address it. And then even 58, right, kind of, you know, talks about how, kind of the same thing and, and about what somebody who might actually follow Christ, how their life, you know, would, would look. What are your thoughts, Scotty? Yeah. So I think the repetition of, of themes that we've already talked about um, was pretty strong. Um, so I thought I might take a second to just uh, run over a few of those to mm-hmm. uh, save time when we go through the passage, you know, um, the Lord's compassion uh, really comes through, especially his compassion for the foreigner. Uh, we are going through Isaiah. We've seen over and over again uh, how welcoming the Lord is to, uh, to other people, and that's a, a huge theme in 56. Uh, he also uh, reminds us one of the themes is, is this watchman, right, the person who's responsible for warning others, because uh, that's, that's what, what Isaiah is, and here he applies it to all leaders. Um, and there's even a, a, another condemnation of drinking, uh, which, which has been the most surprising, uh, theme in Isaiah, uh, to me. Uh, so as we, as we keep going on, we, we kind of see, um, how the Lord, uh, promises salvation and then he rebukes, uh, sin. And then he sort of offers us a path to repentance, uh, particularly through fasting, almost like he sets out, you know, um, his love and, and his goals, and then uh, shows how the people aren't uh, living up to it. And then he says, here's how you get from where you are to all the promises that I've laid on you. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get started. So looking at chapter 56, um, and really, right, verses 1 through 8, um, there's a lot of uh, 
you know, talk about salvation being given to people who were not in the original covenant, right? Uh, like in verse three, talking about the foreigner and the eunuch, right? Those were people who are outside, uh, you know, what would have been the people of God in the the Old Testament law and everything. And uh, now, right, those people are welcomed in. But, right, so verse 1 and 2 says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the man and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So, right, it's, it's just a, a call to live for God in light of his salvation, right? Like, like, you know, same thing like in second Peter three, right? It's, it's this, these verses are, you know, you, you're called to be holy and evangelistic, uh, living for Christ's return. Um, you know, even the old, the people of Israel at this time return, you know, 56 through 66 kind of addresses, right, these exiles returning from Babylon. Those returning from exile should now, as a result of their redemption, lead godly lives. How much more so, right, for us who have now been redeemed by the blood of Christ and are now have been adopted into God's family. Absolutely. So that, that theme of justice, you know, he's, he's really going to get back to that when we get to chapter 58. Uh, but I want to point out two words in this uh, little section. Uh, the first is when he says, my salvation, uh, for soon my salvation will come. Um, and I looked at the word there. Uh, the word for soon really means like near. Um, and, I, and I understand that when you say that something's near, you know, something's close at hand, you are saying that it's coming soon. Um, but I wonder if, you know, since we're, you know, since at the time of the writing, you know, uh, Isaiah's a long way away from uh, seeing that actual uh, salvation come. Um, how, how different it is to just think about it as the salvation being near as opposed to it being soon. Uh, because once uh, redemption is accomplished, um, it is it's a done deal, right? Um, and we're, we're still waiting for it in some sense, um, but we know, we know how close it is because we know how sure and how trustworthy the Lord is. Uh, and the second is, uh, verse two starts by saying, blessed is the man who does this. Um, and, uh, like Psalm one starts off by saying, you know, blessed is the man who, uh, walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And then it says some other things that the guy doesn't do. Uh, but regardless, uh, the word for blessed is also translated how happy, you know, how happy is the man? Uh, and so in, in this case, it's, it's the same. It could be translated as happier. How happy is the man who does this? The one uh, who in this case is keeping justice and doing righteousness. Um, so he's not just uh, promising uh, a blessing, but also uh, an enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So, and then verses three, you know, again, really through eight. I mean, I, I mean, if, if, you want to get in more detail on some things, um, you can. But I've just noticed, as as I read through this, right, foreigner, the eunuch, um, will be treated, you know, in verse five, better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name, a relationship with God, right, that will never end. 
um, verse six, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, right? Through faith. Basically, right. Nobody, this is God saying, nobody is going to be excluded from the kingdom, you know, who, who humbles himself before the Lord, right? Doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, what your past has been. If you repent and call on the Lord to save you, you place your faith in the Messiah and his death and resurrection, then God's not going to turn you away. Amen. Uh, I do want to read three and four uh, just to show. He says, sure. let, not, let not the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from this people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, uh, I will give in my house within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So uh, we have talked over and over again about how the Lord sees things differently than we do. And Isaiah keeps trying to remind us of that, even though we look around and see what everyone else values and we're tempted to... Uh, hold that same value system ourselves. He says, uh, in a culture where having your family is, uh, is how you secure a history for yourself, he says, uh, don't feel bad that you haven't uh, produced an heir. He says, don't feel uh, like you're far off. And there are still places today where people will tell you that uh, being a Gentile means you're, you're outside of uh, some blessing, right? The places where people will tell you that you get, uh, you get special treatment if you're part of God's, uh, God's first bride, right? Um, and we know that that's wrong. We know that God told us, he said, uh, if you've joined yourself with me, uh, don't talk bad about yourself. Don't think that you're going to be excluded. Uh, he says, you're not going to. You're going to have a home here. Uh, so the heading in the ESV anyway says salvation for foreigners. Um, but we're talking about more than salvation because verse 5, he said, I'm going to give you a house within my walls, uh, a monument, and a name. And so he's, he's blessing them uh, past salvation. He gives them uh, verse 7. You know, He says, I'll bring you to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Um, so he's allowing them uh, not just uh, salvation from their sins, but also a place to worship. They're, they're experiencing every blessing that Israel has. Yeah, and I think it's uh, interesting to note, right? Verse 7, my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Um, you know, Christ quotes that uh, 56, 7 in... Mark 11, you know, 17, when he drives the, the money changers and everything out of that section of the temple, which, if I'm correct, was, it was supposed to be the section of the temple that the Gentiles were allowed to enter, to, to pray in. And so Christ is kind of opening up that area of the temple again uh, for them. And he uses this uh, as, as a reference, right? But again... Right. Everyone may experience fellowship with God. Gentiles will also be a part of the covenant. And and this is just 
again, this is just wonderful, awesome news because I know that this also includes me. <laughs> That's right. If we have any Jewish listeners, uh, let us know because uh, we are not aware. <laughs> right. Uh, which means uh, if you're hearing us, then, then you're a Gentile and you get to praise the Lord for this same inclusion. <clears throat> yep. Yep. I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Verse 8. But so now looking at verse 9 through 12, um, right, it's this is talking to people who hear God's word, but they don't believe, right? Uh, so starting with verse 9, right? All you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. Um, the, so that's verses 9 and 10. So it's, right, the beasts, right, it's these hostile nations that are, gonna, that are coming because Israel, right, is, is vulnerable. Uh, the leaders of Israel are completely... They're they're terrible leaders, right? They're selfish, they're worthless, right? I mean, you talk about blind watchmen or sleeping watchmen or dogs that can't bark. Like that's there's 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 no point to having a watchman who is blind or a dog that can't bark, right? They're they're they serve no purpose, and that's what the leaders of Israel are, right? That that God is saying here, they're. They're foolish, selfish, irresponsible, and they leave the country vulnerable. Uh, that's right. It, it is a little bit triggering for me because I love to slumber. And so I don't, uh, <laughs> you know, I always get nervous when I love something. And uh, uh, But uh, he says, uh, verse 11, the dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. Uh, they're shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, uh, one and all. And so we've heard Isaiah attribute that to sheep going their own way. But here he says, uh, it goes all the way to the top. He says the shepherds are, uh, are all going their own way. Um, he says uh, they never have enough. You know, uh, Proverbs says uh, the leech has uh, two children, uh, gimme and gimme, right? Uh, focusing on, on yourself and uh, not, not enough to live. But uh, similar to Israel in the wilderness with manna, um, trying to collect more than they needed, uh, it would spoil. And so here he says, these guys are not, uh, these guys are not obeying my lesson. They're uh, trying to hoard uh, things for themselves that I didn't intend for them to have. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, in, in verse 12, right, they say, come, they say, let us, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure, right? Yeah. They want to feast and party. They think things will always be this way, right? But in the end, as, as verse 9 shows, they're actually going to be the food. That's right. So part of the pur purpose of this podcast, of course, is that we want to apply these things to uh, our modern-day American context. And so when we look at things like this and we see um, people or even churches 
who kind of operate on this model where everything is uh, is always upbeat, uh, everything is always uh, celebration, and we just have to wonder what they would do with uh, the entirety of chapter fifty-seven, right? Um, and of course, these guys these guys getting uh, getting wasted in verse twelve. Um, you know, I actually, uh, I told my wife recently that, um, I said I was going to swear off, uh, drinking, uh, although, uh, I probably drink, uh, less than once a month. I'll, I'm not really keeping, uh, keeping count of it necessarily. Um, but, um, uh, I have not actually sworn off drinking, but it was, it was a conversation we had simply because Isaiah brought it up so often. Um, and I, I understand that here, what he's saying is these leaders are, um, they're having parties when they should be uh, shepherding. Uh, but it's, it's undeniable that this is probably the sixth, uh, time that we've, we've had to have the conversation, uh, about, um, uh, him using, um, uh, drinking as a, a negative example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we think about again these the this is supposed to be israel these this is supposed to be the people who are following god so they know the word of god and yet they don't believe right or they think they believe but they're not doing what they should be doing right. um and yeah as you said right in in america today or in the western world today right there's plenty of quote unquote christians or, or churches that, as you said, they are very uh, upbeat, right? Tomorrow is great, or today is great. Tomorrow is going to be great. Everything is, is awesome. God is not angry with us. Like, I drove by uh, uh, the other day. I was driving down I-45 near Conroe, and I saw a big billboard for a church. A uh, fairly big-sized church in Conroe, and it had a, you know, and the billboard said, "God is not angry with you." And now I remember seeing that. I'm like, well, that's all I need to know about that church. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, as you said, that kind of stuff is very prevalent and not biblical. Yeah, that's a, a really, um, a really pointed example because when we talk about Isaiah 12, one of the verses literally says, uh, you were angry with me. <laughs> right. Uh, like that's, those are his exact words. And so someone's out there, you know, I, I'd like to believe that their explanation would be that he's no longer angry with you, but, uh, right. They didn't put that on the billboard. So, right. But even after that, right. It's because, well, that's because Christ had to suffer as we saw in, chapter 53 that's right uh, tremendously in order to account for that wrath um but yeah anyway uh let's let's move on chapter 57 so chapter 57 starts uh right with verse one it says the righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart devout men are taken away while no one understands for the righteous man is taken away from calamity. Uh, verse two, he enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. Okay. So, right. These are the people of God who perish, right? And, and 
this this I mean obviously happens, right? People of God will die. And the non-believers don't care, right? Where it says no one lays at the heart. They don't care. Um they, you know, they might, you know, they don't people don't understand why a good person dies, right? So the bowmen are taken away while no one understands, but but in the end, right, uh, you are taken away from calamity, right? Those people who die will enter rest. They no longer are going to suffer uh, or struggle. Uh, so verse three, but you draw near sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer and loose woman. Whom you mocking? Verse four. Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? Verse five. You will burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rocks. So, this right. These are the false worshippers. Uh, people of Israel who have mixed their religion with pagan practices, uh, which again, as you said, we want to apply this to America today. There's plenty American churches that adopt um, the culture and, and values that are not biblical, like uh, tolerance of other religions or, or, tolerance of certain sins and you know we don't want to offend anybody or um you know oh i don't want to force my religion on somebody else you know by evangelism and you know all kinds of things uh but so right here it says these folks are sons of the sorceress and the offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman so this is these are people who share the characteristics of their parents right which was Devotion to the occult, sexual immorality. Um, verse four: Whom are you? Whom are you mocking? Right? These people mock the true worshippers and make life hard for them. These uh, the Christians of, you know, uh, certain churches that are not truly biblical. Look at the churches that are biblical and say, "Wow, you guys, right, are." Uh, you're backwards. You're not, um, you know, you're, you're, you're intolerant, uh, hateful, you know, pharisaical. Right. And, and, you know, there's all these, these things, um, where these, these churches and these Christians look at the true believers and go, wow, uh, you can't compromise on this stuff. Come on now, get with the times. Right. I heard a quote this week that said, uh, you go to church uh, on Sunday and nobody cares. But if you start following Christ uh, seven days a week, uh, then people are going to uh, find you strange. I w- and I wish I had taken a screenshot so I could tell you who uh, was the original person who said it. Uh, but uh, so he talks verse five and six. He's talking about different kinds of pagan worship, you know, um, uh, that they would. Uh, worship through uh, sex in these high places and then through child sacrifice mm-hmm. you know he goes uh, first of all he goes for their mamas right he says uh, <laughs> your mother's a witch an adulterer um, and you're a child of lies and uh, sin 
and then he, he uh, ex- explains further, you know, th- th- these are the things you're doing. Um, and uh, th- these, this is who you're worshiping. This is how you're worshiping. Um, and basically, he says that they're enjoying it, right? They're doing it every chance they get. Um, they are, um, they're fanatics. Um, one of the commentaries said about 57.5, they said the best way to interpret it is like, these people are, uh, fanatical, like, uh, uh, a sports fan who has, uh, painted his chest. That's, that's how excited these people are to, to worship Molech and not God. Hmm. Well, and then verse really five through 10, it, it, God through Isaiah is talking about how he sees what these people do and is deeply offended, right? Like a husband who's cheated on. There's, there's a lot of graphic uh, language uh, that's, that's used here because here, right, it's saying following and worshiping idols. Uh, loving things more than the God of the Bible is like a sexual union. You're committing adultery against God and he is offended deeply like a husband who has been cheated on. And, and then even at the, the last phrase of verse six, right? God says, shall I relent for these things? Right? God cannot let this false worshiper, the false worshipers go unpunished. And still be just. That's right. He says, uh, particularly the uh, the child sacrifice in five and six. Um, he says, uh, among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They are your lot. Uh, and I can't help but think back about that uh, eunuch uh, from fifty six. It says, "Listen, I blessed you with children, and you are literally uh, using them to serve something else." You are, you're killing them uh, in service to something that's not even real. Whereas we have this other guy who doesn't have any children and the Lord is blessing him with eternal uh, blessings, right? And how somebody might look, uh, look at the, see something different, but the Lord knows uh, he sees uh, what, like you said, he, he sees what happens. You know, that's what Hagar said in in the wilderness. She called God the God who sees, and and he he continues to see. Uh, he he looks at him and uh, everything that they're doing, trying to do in secret, thinking that a tree can <laughs> cover them. Um, and it, he talks about like verse eight. It talks about uncovering nakedness, and it reminds me of uh, Noah and how. Uh, when his, you know, his uh, son uh, Ham uh, uncovers his mother's nakedness, and how does Noah respond? Uh, he's angry, and he curses his child, uh, Canaan. So that's that's the place that the Lord is speaking from here. That's that's the feeling he has. So, um, and then. Uh, Verse nine, he says, you journey to the king with oil, multiplied your perfume, send your envoys far off and sent down even to Sheol, even to the grave. Uh, he says, you are wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength. And so you were not faint. Um, he's, 
expressing here that uh, beyond their service to these uh, idols, they're serving human masters as well. And instead of getting to the point where they uh, don't, getting to the point where they hit uh, rock bottom and realize uh, they're going the wrong way, uh, instead they double down. Right. They don't repent. They try more wickedness. So let's look at 11 through 13. So uh, God says through Isaiah, whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me, did not lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time and you do not fear me? I will declare your and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. So first off, right, God is patient with sinners, including these false worshipers. Um, but God's patience is like it's declared here and it's always been declared this way, right? God's patience is mistaken by unbelievers as proof that he doesn't exist, right? Oh, if God is real, then why doesn't he do something about this? Um, well, God is, is being patient with you because if he did come now, uh, you're not going to survive. So this, and this is, this is right. That's, this is what God is saying here. Um, you're, you're taking my, the fact that I haven't punished you yet all wrong. Um, and then there's sarcasm, right? I will declare your righteousness and your deeds. Well, these people have no righteousness. Right. So God is actually being sarcastic with these folks. And then again, right? Let your collection of idols deliver you. Um, I'm not going to do it. But then finally, it ends in verse 13, right, with, again, the offer of salvation, right? God is still offering these folks grace if, if they will only take it. Well, let's move on to 14. Um, so, and it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. Uh so, right, God uh, is building roads, right, for, for lost people, um, trying to uh, bring his elect to, right, his kingdom. And then verse 15, I think here it's, it's just a very good summary of the chapter. Uh, 57, 15, right, God describes himself, his dwelling place. Uh, also, the people he wants living with him, right? It's it's a it's just a stunning invitation. Uh, verse fifteen says, "For thus says, who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly." and to revive the heart of the contrite. So, first off, right, that, that phrase high and, and lifted up, or high and lofty, right, that's, that's the gap 
the separation, the, the otherness of God compared to his creation, right? Uh, like when we think of uh, chapter six, right, where it says God is holy, 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 right? His otherness, his holiness compared with us and even the angels, right, is infinite. So we should feel humble. We should feel small compared to him. And even his dwelling place is as high and holy and unreachable as he is. But, right, God says, uh, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. If you simply admit that you cannot get in his throne room and that you aren't worthy and just ask for God's grace, which is offered in the death of resurrection of Jesus, you'll be let in, right? God is merciful. God is with us if we are his humble followers. Again, just a, this, this is a good verse. I love this verse. And it's a, it's a wonderful, again, invitation for whoever um, wishes to be, to, to know God. Absolutely. And he's calling back to uh, Isaiah six, the vision uh, that Isaiah has of God in his throne room. Right. And he, he sees him high and lifted up. And sees, you know, uh, Isaiah 55, 8 said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Um, and now we see like a almost a, a physical representation of it. You see um, that God is the one who is high and, and lifted up. Um, you have to look up to see him. He, uh, but he's also uh, here. He's also in our midst. You know, just he's he's always reaching from the high and lofty position uh, that he has in, in his righteousness and his creator rights over the whole wide world. Um, but he's, he's not uh, staying there. You know, he's, he's moving towards us towards the contrite that is <clears throat> right. Uh, verse 16 and, and 17, right. Again, God offering grace, he used to be angry with me, right? Says, nor will I always be angry. Uh, he used to be angry with me, right? I was wicked and uh, I pushed his patience. But, right, God is, is, is not going to remain angry. Um, right, verse 18, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. He's seen what we've done, we're, but he's still going to heal us. How? Uh, you know, the answer is in 53, again, with the, the suffering servant and how he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Um, I will lead him and restore comfort to him. And this is right. The contrite, the people who have repented. Um, I will comfort. Uh, I will restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace. To the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Verse 20, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss, toss up mire and dirt. Uh, verse 21, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So, right, the backslider is going to be restored to praising God, right? The fruit of the lips. We... The humble and contrite people will receive God's righteousness and we will worship him 
for it, right? This, you know, peace, peace, right? He gives me peace as he heals, right? The, the, which this is sanctification, right? He is making us uh, holy or, and, and, and making us image, into the image of his son. That's right. He, pro- he all promises healing and uh, comfort. He says, uh, obviously, you're uncomfortable uh, acting wickedness. This backsliding is not, um, is not fulfilling because you're built to be fulfilled another way. And then he says there's, at the end, of course, there's no peace uh, for the wicked. They're like the tossing sea, always fighting, always moving, can't be quiet. And so that's a contrast for this, the person with a contrite heart. Um, which of course is going to be still and, and uh, uh, filled with peace. So he says, if you think that you're going to get to a point uh, by your, by your hard work, uh, by all these uh, sins you've committed, you're going to get to a point where you can coast. It's never going to happen. You're always going to be fighting. You're always going to be working and you're going to be exhausted. Mm-hmm. So then uh, chapter 58 Uh, This is where uh, things get real. Um, uh, John Piper has a book on fasting called Hunger for God. And uh, it's mostly about the practicality uh, of fasting. You know, Um, here's, you know, here's what you don't do, or here's what you're supposed to be focusing on uh, when you're fasting. uh, Because it's, you know, people these days fast for, you know, weight loss, uh, things like that. And that's, and that's not what the Bible's telling us to do. Um, not that it's wrong, uh, but it's just not what we're going for. Um, and then, uh, but his, his book ends with Isaiah 58 and an explanation of what fasting really is. Uh, and so that's the way the chapter breaks down is, is going to talk about uh, basically when we, um, when we repent in uh, humility, um, and he says, here is the wrong way to do it. <laughs> uh, here's the right way to do it. And he says, if you are fasting the wrong way, uh, here is how you uh, change to make it the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you want to say to introduce the chapter? No, let's get into it. So, yeah, verse one says, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. So, right, we, Isaiah, and then, and then we who are in Christ are to declare uh, the people's sins so that they might repent, right? We, this is, this is a call to evangelism, right? We're supposed to do this. But then in verse 2, it says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Um, these, these are people who, right, God is talking about people who are religious. They have the head knowledge. They even have the outward actions, Right, but they don't have a relationship with God. There's a discrepancy between how they're living and what is in their hearts. And and right, the big problem right is addressed in verse three, 
right? Again, yeah, as you said, we we're talking about uh, fasting. Like, why have we fasted? And you see it not. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you take no knowledge of it. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. So, um, they these people think they're in the wrong because they think following God will put God in debt to them. Right? They they were fasting. Why don't you see it? Now you should bless me, right? Uh, and because that's not happening, they feel a sense of injustice and anger. Uh, in fact, they the people or God Himself even minimizes their piety, right? He says, "In the day of your fast, uh, fasting, right, usually takes place over a, an extended period of time." Um, but God here is kind of like you're what you're doing is not much. Um, but right, but again, right, these are people who are very religious, but they are not righteous. They have all the outward stuff, but not its power, and thus God is refusing to bless them. Yes, uh, it's easy uh, to hold uh, both of those truths together. The, uh, the idea that you're serving the Lord uh, and the reality that you're not. Um, and I, I can think of situations where like um, where I'm doing something that I know the Lord wouldn't approve of, and yet I'm praying to the Lord not to get caught, right? You say, uh, boy, I hope, you know, I hope my boss doesn't look over my shoulder right now, Some, something like that. And, and you actually ask God for help you know, as if uh, he approved, you say, um, in a situation like that, the, the difficulty is that the kind of person he's describing thinks that they've done enough, right? They think, uh, in fact, they're complaining that they haven't been rewarded enough. Uh, but the truth is that there's almost, um, almost an evil sort of contentment there that you have, you've done this and that and the Lord ought to be impressed with you. And... So if you're listening tonight and you feel exhausted because you don't feel like you've done enough uh, for the Lord, you don't feel like you've used your time well enough, um, that there's, there's just got to be some extra way that you can serve the Lord. Um, uh, I think that's an evidence of grace because if you are uh, this person, this false faster, uh, then what you're going to do is you're going to serve the Lord just enough to give yourself some kind of standing. And if you feel like the Lord deserves more from you than you've given him, you're right. Mm -hmm. uh, he does. And if you're being energized uh, by the spirit, then uh, you can take comfort in the fact that you don't have this, this dark uh, reflection of contentment. You don't feel like you've done enough and that the Lord uh, owes you. Because uh, that's, that's a picture of someone who doesn't have faith. And so someone who does have faith, uh, although I would encourage you to be uh, uh, content because the Lord isn't served by human hands and doesn't need your help at all. Uh, but the, your desire is actually a fruit of the Spirit. If you feel like uh, the Lord is calling you to more. He says... Uh, 
uh, verse 4, uh, you fast only to quarrel and fight, hit with a wicked fist. Uh, fasting like yours uh, on this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Um, there are only a handful of verses I can think of where God says he's not going to listen to prayers. Um, and, and this is one. He says, uh, you, you think that your fast is going to make you heard. And he says, but the way you're doing it makes me less likely. And so I try to think about, you know, if my kids ask me for something, I might, I might consider it. But if they ask me for it over and over and over again, at, at a certain point, I say, you know, the more you ask me, the less likely I am <laughs> to give you what you're asking for here. Right. And, and that's what the Lord says. He says, listen, the more you throw this tantrum by uh, fasting in order to impress your friends and impress me, the more I say, uh, uh, the more I'm going to withhold it from you. Right. There's a lot of pride on the part of these uh these these false worshipers right they 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 quarrel they fight they're 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 prideful um this is this is a pride thing look at what i can do look what i've done look at what god is going to do for me now that i've done this and accomplished this and right verses five and six really talk about you know they they're saying no fasting is supposed to be an expression of humility right, of, of humility and brokenness, um, right, it's humility that leads to grace and freedom, but that is not the motive of, of these folks, right, it's not one of, I deserve this, I am, um, I'm sorry I've done this, right, I, uh, I'm asking for your mercy and your grace, that's right. So the, the spirit of the prodigal son's older brother is showing off here and coming out that like, listen, uh, I did everything right. And how did you repay me, God? You know, uh, aren't you, uh, aren't I due uh, for a reward here? Uh, whereas really we want to look at the, um, the story Jesus tells where uh, the two men, uh, one of which says, uh, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the other one is proud of himself for not being a sinner. And he says, you know, who went away justified? Well, uh, God is pointing out to us here. He says, listen, when you fast, uh, because fasting should be a part of the Christian life here. And it's, it's not something, uh, it shouldn't be uh, foreign to us. Although um, in our context, it often is. Um, he says, uh, when you're fasting, your heart ought to be saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. You're not fasting in relation to someone else. You're not trying to outfast someone. Uh, you're not fasting to prove uh, how long you can go. You're, you're not fasting for any of these reasons. Um, he says, uh, verse 5 kind of explains it. He says, in such uh, the fast that I choose is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? and a day acceptable to the Lord. And then he goes on to say, these are all outward expressions. And so where six, he says, uh, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? 
when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Uh, and then verse eight, he starts to offer some promises, but uh, that's the real, the real change here is that everything we think of when we think of fasting is us uh, sort of uh, showing off how sorrowful we are. And the Lord here expands that he's, he's not saying that that's not a part of it uh, because uh, you do uh, want to be humble. You do want to be denying yourself, but he says, it's also more than that. You know, it's not about you not eating. It's about someone else being able to eat. And he basically spills out. Uh, and that's why that theme from uh, chapter 56, right? Thus says the Lord, keep justice. And so uh, that justice, when you, uh, when you sort of look into uh, what he means, uh, that's what he's explaining here. He says, um, you see the naked, cover him. Uh, these are the examples that Jesus uses when he says that believers have done a service for him. He says, uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. Uh, when I was naked, you clothed me. Um, and these are those exact examples. He says, uh, giving the homeless a place to stay. And so for us, a lot of times, if you start talking that way, if, if you were to just read Isaiah 58 in some churches, um, they're going to boo you off stage because it's a political agenda, right? Um, it is uh, in some way, somehow, it's a threat to the gospel for you to suggest that we be uh, nice to people, right? Uh, people in need. And yet uh, here it is over and over again in scripture uh, and, and specifically here, uh, God is saying, if you are not uh, serving the lowly, if you are not involved in some way in overturning the uh, the oppression uh, that that we uh, see here, He says, then I'm not really interested in the fasting that you've got going on. All of the self denial uh, that you're putting yourself through is really for nothing. Uh, I'm not actually going to listen to your prayer because you're not loosening the bonds of wickedness, undoing the straps of the yoke. Um, and so in here, he actually talked about uh, one of his examples was uh, verse three, 58, three ends by him saying in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all your workers. Uh, so here, when he's talking about this oppression, he's talking about oppression that the, the, the fasters are doing <laughs> They're They're a part of, um, making sure that they get as much as they can and share as little as they can. And that kind of uh, materialism, that kind of selfishness is, uh, is a fast ruiner. Yeah. I mean, people, especially like conservative Christians, if we hear like the term social justice, you know, there's, they were like, Oh, that's, no, we can't do that. We need to focus simply on telling people the gospel. And you know what? The gospel, I would say, is is more important. But at the same time, if you're a Christian, then you will give up levels of comfort to help those in need. 
right? It's as you said, it says it right there, like in verse seven. You are called to care for others and and their physical needs. Um. So then, verse eight says, then. So if you do these things, right, if you follow God and, 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 and fast correctly, you humble yourself, you obey him. Verse 8, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So, right, the, the word then Right, so this word, this I'm reading the, the commentary in my ESV uh, Reformation Study Bible. It says, this word connects human responsibility and the coming of God's kingdom. In the mystery of God's providence, he creates the context in which he will act by stirring human acts of obedience. So, um, if you are if you are in Christ, right, God is going to work on your heart, right? Sanctification. He is going to cause you to obey, to 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 do the things like in verse seven, and right. And it says your healing shall spring up speedily, meaning you are going to be sanctified. The fruit of the spirit is going to come out, and it's going to come out more and more and and quickly. Um, Really, verses right eight through twelve, uh, basically are saying right these are the the benefit of serving God through serving others is you're going to get a relationship with Him, you are, you will have a relationship with the God of the universe. And uh, verse nine, uh, so he after explaining that he's actually he's not going to listen to the prayers of somebody. Uh, who's fasting while they're otherwise uh, living selfishly in sin, uh, then he explains what's going to happen if you actually do uh, follow through and, and give justice. He's, uh, he says, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. He says, your, your prayers are going to be on uh, speed dial. And of course, uh, that doesn't mean he's going to give you exactly what you asked for. Um, and we'll cover that later, I assume. But he says, when you call, the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am, uh, meaning the Lord is going to be near uh, in, in a way that he wasn't otherwise. If you take away the yoke from your midst, if you stop uh, working other people, is my paraphrase, uh, then he says the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. So uh, he says when when those things go away, the condition, the conditional nature is, that the Lord will start to hear your prayers once again. Mm -hmm. And then verse 10, right? If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the, the desire of the afflicted. So, right, it, pouring yourself out, you are doing, you are acting, uh, you are involved in ministry, right? Not, not just like, oh, I'll say a prayer for this ministry or, Oh, I'll give money sometimes to this ministry. Like those things are good. They are important, but uh, we are called ourselves to also act, right? We need to be involved in our church or in, or in some kind of ministry. Um, and if that does happen, right, we receive the promise of the kingdom, right? Your light 
uh, shall rise in the darkness. Your gloom be as the noonday. Um, right, that that calls to the images of 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 God being the source of light, right, in in His kingdom, um, and how there will no be no more be you know there will be no more darkness and and no night, and that's kind of you know again referencing uh, this here. Um, God yeah. will guide you continually. I mean, yeah. Well, I think there's another sense. Uh, a lot of uh, Isaiah's promises have been about turning bad things good, right? Turning deserts into streams, uh, planting gardens where um, uh, where it used to not be habitable or hospitable, uh, or taking good things and destroying them. And so here, when he says, uh, your gloom shall be as the noonday, um, he says, I'm not just going to make things better outwardly. I'm going to make things better inwardly for you. Uh, and then he, he keeps going. Verse 11 says, and the Lord will guide you continually. Doesn't that sound great? The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Um, so he's talking about a huge legacy here. He says, uh, uh, pouring yourself out for the hungry, satisfying the desire of the afflicted. Uh, what that's going to mean is that the, the Lord is going to give you guidance, uh, which you were previously living without. He's going to satisfy your desire. So everything we talked about at the end of the last chapter, how the wicked are like this tossed sea and they don't have peace. They're just, they're just um, working. They're just trying and uh, expecting a reward that never comes. And then the Lord says, uh, the condition here is that if we're uh, satisfying the need of the afflicted and the hungry, he says he's going to bring... Um, life uh to the desert he's going to bring the hustle and bustle of people back to this ruined city um he says all these promises are hinged on the fact that we're obeying him and his call to the needy and he says that uh all the people who are going to enjoy the blessings of these new changes that he's going to bring um he says gain a reputation for being a, a fixer and a restorer, like a HGTV personality, um, somebody yeah. who can go into a fixer upper and make it look better than new construction. That's uh, that's the kind of um, legacy that's who, uh, by the Lord's power, uh, obeys these calls to what the text calls justice. Yep. So uh, that brings us to 13 and 14, which uh, talk about the Sabbath, right? And keeping the Sabbath. So verse thir- starting verse 13, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, verse 14, then... You shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. 
I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, right, it's it's a call to genuinely honor the Sabbath, right, and, and devote it to God. It's it's a this is supposed to be a day. Uh, this day is a sign of the covenant. It's a sign of our dependence on him, right? Instead of working and trying to provide for ourselves, we're going to rest and trust God is still going to take care of us, even if we only work, you know, uh, if we work one less day during the week. Um, but well, as like the end of verse 13 seems to imply or imply about like seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, right? A lot of people think, the Sabbath is a day for you getting to go and do what you want. And God is like, that's not the case, right? Uh, It's supposed to be about um, honoring him, making the day about him. And then the result will be finding joy in, in him alone. That's uh, the word uh, pleasure in the ESV uh, is actually tra- uh, translated business in the CSB. He says, uh, uh-huh. if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, comma, from doing your business on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. Um, basically, uh, it's, it's more than just doing something fun, reveling in your own pleasure. It even includes work, right? And, of course, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is an attempt to abstain from work to show that putting in less effort with more reliance on God uh, equals a higher outcome uh, than if you were to put in more work. But, of course, uh, that reliance on self is the whole problem that we've been addressing in Chapter 58 is that uh, people don't believe they need to rely on the Lord. They believe that they can muster it up themselves if they uh, fast hard enough and still... Uh, on their own, uh, they can take advantage of all their employees and work on Sunday, you know. But of course, we're not talking about uh, Sunday specifically. We're talking about the the spirit of the Sabbath, right? We're supposed to delight in taking time off to enjoy the Lord, uh, which means instead of rushing through a quiet time, we are able to s- slow down and enjoy it, let it go where it needs to go. And um, that means when we're... Uh, when we're, when we're doing what this text is telling us not to do, when we're working, when we should be spending time with the Lord, when we're uh, sitting in a sermon thinking about uh, that uh, difficult uh, project that we're trying to crack at work or uh, some interpersonal uh, problem you're trying to overcome, some, uh, somebody you're not having an easy time working with, uh, or pleasure, you know, thinking about the, the, the football game and um, – Either way, what we need to do is delight in the Sabbath. We need to Mm -hmm. take uh, the ability to fast, the ability to spend time in God's word, the ability to sing. Uh, Isaiah didn't bring it up in any of these three chapters, Um, but I I know he's thinking it. (laughs) But uh, uh, we should be worshiping the Lord, right? This house of worship that uh, the Gentiles and eunuchs are being invited into. Um, he says, we need to go there and we need to have joy. We need to be um, happy to be doing it. And uh, which is contrary to everything you expect from someone who's uh, fasting, everyone who's denying themselves of 
anything, even though uh, traditionally the the biblical sense of fasting does mean food. Uh, doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, have times where we fast from other things. Uh, there's an instance uh, in the New Testament where, uh, strangely, uh, Paul says you know, that a couple can fast from sex if they agree to it through prayer. Um, and so we know that you're free to fast from everything. Uh, but the, the uh, primary fast prescribed in Scripture is uh, fasting from food. And uh, my understanding is that the, the guys who are fasting wrongfully are fasting from food wrongfully. They're also fasting from personal hygiene uh, because when you're fasting, you, don't, you want to uh, forego anything um, enjoyable, uh, anything that's, um, that you might take some sort of special enjoyment in. Uh, but at the same time, these guys are doing it on purpose. They're trying to look as miserable as they can. And Jesus says that you're actually supposed to hide your fasting. He says people shouldn't know when you're depriving yourself uh, because you're not doing it for them. Amen. <clears throat> so is that your application then, Scotty? Oh, nope. My application so much, <laughs> so much easier. Okay. All well, right, Scotty. Yes. Give us your application now that we have made it All through right. three chapters. All right. Well, uh, somehow... Uh, fasting from food did not come up as an application uh, because I'm just so far away from obeying the Lord in that sense. But I'm going to go ahead and amend that and say, yes, um, fasting for any period of time safely uh, from food uh, should be an application. Look at a chapter like this um, that uh, fast or uh, in some cases it's an act of uh, supernatural faith for us to just uh, listen uh, without judgment to someone who um, uh, feels as though they're being oppressed. But uh, really, based on uh, wanting to cover the naked, feed the hungry, uh, the simplest application probably that, that I've ever had on this podcast anyway, is uh, that I would challenge our listeners to give money to a panhandler. Uh, every now and then you do uh, come upon them. And most of the time, um, chapter 58, verse 7 says, um, and do not hide yourself from your own flesh. And so what he's talking about is somebody made in God's image and you don't want to make eye contact with them because you don't want to feel um, guilty because uh, you've made up in your mind, I've made up in my mind for, for whatever reason, that it's better to not uh, play a part in someone who is uh, begging on the side of the road. Whereas we actually see beggars portrayed in a pretty positive light in the New Testament. And here we're told not to hide uh, from our own flesh and blood, but that if we want this guidance from the Lord, uh, we need to share our bread with the hungry um, and... Uh, let the homeless uh, into our homes. George, how about you? <laughs> so I've got a couple things. Uh, first off, you know, it is important that we make sure we don't fall, that we have not fallen into the category of false worshipers, right? People who think they are righteous, who think they are part of God's family, but they either have compromised their faith by 
you know, adding to uh, their religion with other religions or uh, the culture that's around them, pagan practices, uh, or they've become, you know, pharisaical and, and prideful, right? Uh, it's important that we examine our hearts, you know, uh, first and, and foremost, you know, are we involved in ministry and, and caring for others? Um, if, if we're not, then we need to, uh, consider, you know, if our faith is, is genuine, right? Uh, James chapter two talks a lot about how, uh, you know, you aren't saved by works. I'm not saved by being involved in social justice and evangelism and ministry, but a saving faith produces good works. It's the fruit that shows that my faith is genuine. Um, the other thing is, it's important, you know, to make sure that I am not one of these folks whose faith has been compromised by the world or by the culture. You know, is the church I'm going to or or in my, or even in my personal faith? When push comes to shove, who wins the Bible, scripture or the culture that I'm that I'm living in? Um, it's important to consider those things and, and certainly be well versed in, in scripture to know the difference between the two. Um, uh, finally, just the other, the, the, the other thing is again, looking at 57 verse 15, um, again, just a call to humble yourself because if you do, if you admit, if you simply admit that you cannot save yourself, that God does not owe you anything and just ask for his grace and his mercy, he will give it to you. The God who is so high and lofty that you cannot reach him will come down to you. Um, and again, and then like in chapter 56, it doesn't matter if you were born an Israelite. It doesn't matter if you were born a Christian, you know, born into a Christian family or born into a, you know, a pagan family. It, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, what your background is. Uh, you are unworthy, but God, through the death of Christ and, and his resurrection, has um, offered you mercy. And even if you have not, I mean, even if we have already placed our faith in Christ, it is something we always need to remind ourselves of. Um because if we do, it will not only improve our relationship with God, but it will lead more and more to us serving God by serving others. Amen. Well, that does it. We uh, have now concluded our uh, latest episode. Chapters 56, 57, 58 of Isaiah. Next week, we'll look at 59 and 60. Um, and hopefully, it'll be a lot drier uh, in Tomball, where, where we are uh, by that point. But anyway, so signing off 
this is George Cagle, joined by Scotty Jinx from Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly. Well, of course, you can always just call us the five R's. Uh, good night, and uh, be sure to let us know how fast you can fast. <laughs>